welcome you and uh, you are joining thousands of people that have filled this sanctuary and you've missed it so just kidding <laughs> um, anyway so this morning uh, as far as announcements go remember there's uh, bunko for the ladies on Wednesday night uh, so plan to come for that and the women's retreats coming up if you haven't heard about that please uh, look and and sign up if you would like to go and um, for the rest of uh, this day, we're just going to get into the Word of God. We're studying uh, Romans chapter 9, if you want to turn there uh, with us. If you uh, have an offering to give, uh, there's an offering plate in the, the back of the church just on your way out. You can do that. And if you're at home, uh, you can just plan to bring your offering next week and join us as we worship together then. Romans chapter 9, it, it begins in uh, stark contrast to the way that chapter 8 ended. Chapter 8 ended on a, on a high note of how nothing can separate us uh, from the love of God. And just a powerful statement, and, excuse me, a powerful truth there. He has, uh, but chapter 9 kind of signals a change in the topic, and uh, he's discussed the righteousness of God uh, towards Jews and towards Gentiles, and now uh, Paul discusses the righteousness of God towards the nation or the people of Israel in general. Every Israelite, um, every person uh, born in Israel, uh, from all of humanity. But here's the problem. So the Jews originated from the nation of Israel, those who were descendants of Abraham and Isaac. They were God's chosen people. But when Jesus came as the Messiah, many of them did not believe in him and they did not accept him as, as such. And uh, now Paul has written this letter uh, to the Jews in Rome who do believe in Jesus, um, but he's taking a step back, kind of a broad step back to address why so many other Israelites have not uh, chosen to respond to Jesus as the Messiah. Questions arise like, if these are God's chosen people, then why have they not responded to God's uh, chosen Messiah? Why are the Gentiles uh, coming into the kingdom uh, in an increasing numbers while the population of Jews within the church continues to decline? He opens this chapter lamenting the, this fact and expressing his great love for his fellow countrymen. We'll start in verse 1. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish, or another word for that is pray, I could pray that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, 
to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Paul gives this list of uh, saying all of these uh, Israelites, all of these uh, born in Israel, I should say, is blessed by God and God has uh, what belongs to them because they are God's chosen people is that they're the first adopted sons of God and the glory that comes with it. Uh, all of the covenants would come through them. The giving of the law would come through them. Uh, they would be the ones to serve in the temple. Uh, they received God's promises. The Messiah will come through them, and they are blessed forever. We still, to this day, see God's hand upon the country of Israel. Despite the fact that Israel has been given all of these prerogatives, she still remains opposed to the plan of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 6 is kind of our main key verse for the, the rest of the chapter. Paul writes, But, after saying all of this and making that list, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Because not all Israelites um, believed in Jesus, not all the Jewish uh, believers uh, believed in Jesus or accepted him as Messiah, uh, because of that, the word of God didn't fail. And he's going to use the rest of chapter 9 and chapter 10 to defend this statement. He means here that uh, the whole list that we just went out, that he just made, it's still true, it's still accurate, uh, despite not having 100% participation from Israel. Verse 7, or actually verse 6 continues, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. But, and he quotes through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. This begins a section defining who the true Israelites are. Also, some people who believe in the doctrine of Calvinism in which uh, God's sovereignty in election is seen to predetermine the eternal destiny of all individuals, either for salvation or for damnation. They use these verses to back up their statements. But many scholars uh, believe that this section is speaking of the election of nations, um, not individual people. Uh, he's already named Abraham and Isaac, Sarah. He's going to name uh, a couple others. And those individuals uh, are representing a nation. And uh, these verses were used by God to advance 
the individuals named in these verses are used by God to advance his work with the nations that they represent. When he says, not all Israel who are Israel, this is his first defense of the fact that the word of God has not failed. He makes a distinction that true Israelites are not just everyone born in Israel, the descendants of Abraham, but true Israelites are those who accept Jesus as the Messiah. They are the recipients and beneficiary of God's promises, the list that he gave in verses uh, 4 and 5. To defend this distinction, Paul recalls two similar moments uh, in salvation history from two successive generations uh, when God chose between two brothers and actually the nations that they represent. And he chose them to advance his salvation plan. The first uh, set of brothers is uh, Abraham's two sons, If you recall Ishmael, uh, he was born to Sarah's servant as a way of, uh, well, we'll get into that in a minute. The other boy is Isaac, and he was born to Sarah. God chose Isaac because uh, he was the son miraculously conceived in his parents' old age. Ishmael was conceived out of sin as Abraham and Sarah were striving to have children. They wanted to have uh, descendants, kind of took it in their own way how they were going to make that happen. So you you can read about the struggles that Ishmael had and Isaac uh, in their their, uh, family. And if you remember back in chapter 4, Paul discussed the justification of Abraham through grace rather than by works. Abraham believed in God's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham sees the promise of his son fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. The second example Paul uses is that of Isaac and Rebekah's sons. Verse 10, and not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice or election, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, Jacob and Esau were twins. If you remember uh, their story in Genesis 25, uh, they were wrestling in her womb, and God speaks to her and tells her, you have two nations in your womb. Two people will be separated from your body, one stronger than the other. The older Esau will serve the younger uh, Jacob. Esau, if you recall, rashly sold his inheritance to Jacob and then regretted it, hated him afterwards. Esau became the father of the Edomites and Jacob the father of the Israelites. So with that said, verse 13 sounds awful towards Esau 
uh, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. It sounds awful, but the context there needs to be known. Paul is quoting from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In it, the prophet is talking about the nation, the people of Edom, not Esau himself, but his descendants. The selection of Jacob uh, did not mean that God refused to act graciously uh, towards the descendants of Esau. For example, the Lord prohibited the Israelites from making war or for taking advantage of the Edomites when they passed through their region. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 2. So Paul goes on in verse 14, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be! Exclamation point. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. As if answering an objection uh, from the audience like Paul has done in in previous chapters, Uh, he'll ask a question and answer it like he's having a conversation with one of the Roman Jews. He answered, he's, he asks this question and gives an answer of the objection from the audience that if God is unfair or is he unfaithful and Paul emphatically denies it, he then quotes Exodus thirty-three nineteen, making the point that God's mercy rather than human considerations explains his choice. God is acting rightly because he's acting according to his mercy. This is a, a difficult thing for us to understand sometimes, and he'll give an example, and, and, and we'll kind of look at it in just a moment. Verse 17, he says, For this scripture says to Pharaoh, you guys remember uh, Pharaoh, and uh, he was the leader over the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt, and they... Uh, Moses came and Aaron let my people go and all the plagues and all that. So this is Pharaoh. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. One specific example is the life of Pharaoh. A lot of good came out of God's dealings with Pharaoh. God's name was revealed to the nations. Uh, Pharaoh's magicians recognized the finger of God. Some Egyptians left with the Israelites when they were set free. And the Philistines heard about the power of God because of the ten plagues. Some may... Uh, when we look at the story of Pharaoh and that God hardened his heart, we may say like, well, God never gave him a chance. Um, is that fair? How, you know, and that's probably what the Jewish uh, person is responding to Paul um, in this conversation. But actually, Pharaoh uh, hardened his heart many times before uh, God hardened it. 
what God did to Pharaoh was not about determining his final destiny, but it was about bringing glory to his name and setting his people free. Verse 19 says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Another objection to Paul's argument. If he has mercy on whomever he chooses and hardens whomever he chooses, why does God still blame us? And he answers with another illustration. Verse 20, on the contrary, uh, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, okay, remember the potter and the clay, he's bringing up that illustration. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor, for honorable use, and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. God is our creator, and uh, Paul saying just as crazy as, as it would be for a vase to question the potter, right? We shouldn't uh, talk back to God or question his uh, purpose for our life, for he has the right over us to mold us and form us into what he wants us to be. And a very interesting and powerful truth comes out of uh, verses 22 and 23. When you look at uh, the word prepared, most times when you'd read your uh, Bible, uh, you might skim through, okay, prepared for uh, destruction, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory. But just like any language, when I make a sentence in English, if someone in another language was going to translate that, uh, it may not, there may not be exact words uh, that, mean that, that will translate 100% uh, accuracy, exactly the same thought that's, that I'm trying to make. And that's what's happening uh, when you look at the Greek word for prepared and trying to translate it uh, to the English words. Prepared in verse 22 for the vessels of wrath is different than prepared in verse 23 for vessels of mercy. Verse 22 means to make fit or to mend or repair. Verse 23, it means to make ready beforehand. So God's intent or purpose for vessels of mercy was known before they were created. It was done so for his glory. And the intent was to make his glory known. And I believe that it's saying that all people were created this way, to be vessels of mercy. And those who went about their own way, who didn't follow God, but followed you know, sin, unrighteousness, the things we've talked about in previous chapters, those that have kind of gone their own way 
have been the, the, the pots that questioned the creator, didn't want to be what he was forming them to be. And so uh, God uh, reshaped them to make them fit, resulting in vessels of wrath for destruction. Romans 1 helps explain what Paul means here. The wrath of God is currently being poured out on sinners as he releases them to the results of their evil desires. It wasn't the potter's original plan to make vessels of wrath. Are you guys following me with that? It's kind of tough to to grasp that. God's original intent for us is good and for his glory. And when we do our own thing, we're turning away and God's allowing us to do whatever we would uh, want us to do. He's given us a free will. His desire is that uh, just like his desire was for all of the Israelites to follow him, to accept Jesus as their Messiah, uh, they didn't all do that. His desire is for all of us to follow him, that we would all have eternal life with him, but he also gives us that choice. Verse 24, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So God's calling is not bound by race or by works, um, but it flows out of his mercy. He uses the next verses in quoting from Hosea and Isaiah uh, to wrap up his defense of uh, verse 6, the word of God has not failed. Verse 25, he says, uh, also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Uh, Amen. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us, left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. God's word has not failed because these prophets spoke of two things, only a remnant of Israel being saved and to the salvation of the Gentiles. God was saying through Hosea um, and now through Paul that all the people from every land are God's people. And we praise him for that. That's us, okay? Um, Not just the Jews, uh, but the Gentiles also. Paul goes to his second line of defense of the statement, God's word has not failed, starting here and going through uh, the rest of chapter 10 as well. Paul now argues that the reason the Gentiles rather than the Jews are flooding into the kingdom of God has to do with the Jewish failure. Verses 30 and 31 state the great paradox that Paul is attempting to explain. The Gentiles, 
who were not seeking righteousness have obtained it. The Jews who were pursuing a law of righteousness have not attained their goal. Let's read it. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The him is Jesus. Uh, The he is us. (laughs) So we, us who believe in Jesus, will not be disappointed. We won't stumble. We won't fall. The Gentiles uh, did not pursue righteousness because it wasn't available to them yet. As we learned in earlier chapters, God made the covenant with the Jews first. But now the gospel proclaims that God, uh, (coughs) excuse me, um, the gospel proclaims that God's righteousness is bringing in people from outside the boundaries of that old covenant. The people of God are no longer um, defined by race. They're not defined um, by where they were born, where they were raised, but only uh, their only definition is by faith in Jesus. The Jews, on the other hand, they've been pursuing a law uh, that promised righteousness and doing so with zeal. Paul says, recognizing that they're zealous uh, for that law, following that law. But they have been unsuccessful because they have been pursuing it by works and not by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the stone. Those Jews who did not accept him were offended by him. We read that in all of the Gospels right? They stumbled over him, following, uh, falling off the path of righteousness. We read all through uh, Jesus' ministry. They, he was trying to uh, get the message to them. Many Jews did follow him, did recognize him as Messiah, but we also see so many uh, were offended by him. They, they judged and tried him uh, for blasphemy, meaning they didn't think that he uh, was fulfilling uh, the God's word and God's law, and he was blaspheming it, and that became a stumbling block for them. But those who believed in Jesus, those who accepted him as Messiah, they found righteousness. And we today, we find righteousness through him. And and they will not be disappointed, pointing towards the end uh, when Jesus returns and our our faith in him is uh, made real for all of eternity, spending uh, our life with him. Chapter 10 Uh, just kind of continues this thought. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them 
is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And here's a key verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul began chapter 9 lamenting his fellow Israelites who don't believe in Jesus. He now begins chapter 10 stating his desire, his prayer for their salvation. He loves them. It's clear uh, he's not just ripping them and uh, crying over them, but he uh, is expressing his love for them and his desire. He's writing this uh, so that more would believe. That's his goal in all of this. Paul clarifies that he wants all the Jews to believe in Jesus and not to stumble away. He acknowledges their passion, but it's not directed in the right pursuit. They're passionate about the law and about serving it, but God has brought the fulfillment or the end to the law in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But many of the Jews did not accept that ending. It's kind of hard for us to look back and, and say um, and understand the concept that Jesus fulfilled the law. Um, when it says Jesus was the end of the law, uh, he didn't abolish it, meaning that none of its principles, none of its, um, uh, you know, none of its commandments are, are good. Uh, he fulfilled it. He was the end of it. That when they made it all the way through, uh, they were looking for the Messiah in all of it. Their hope, they knew that God, uh, just as he sent all of those laws and he sent Moses and Aaron and all those prophets, they was always pointing to a Messiah. And the Messiah was the fulfillment of all of that and, and the, the, um, the end to all of that. He was the ultimate final sacrifice but they missed it. Many of them stumbled over that. And even to this day, there's Jews that don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and they're, they're still uh, spreading the same teaching that the, the Jews did back then. Verse 4 is reiterating that righteousness comes to everyone through faith in Jesus. The law is no longer a barrier that separates those who have access to righteousness and those who don't. Verse 5, for Moses writes that the man who practices um, the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that is, the word of faith, which we are preaching. Paul quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verses 12 through 14, 
where the Israelites were told uh, that the law was not too difficult for them to obey because it was present with them. Paul is using it to tell the current Jews that righteousness based on faith should be easy to see. It should be easy to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, bringing it to an end, to a fulfillment, and they should now believe in him as the Messiah. They and us uh, don't have to try to climb up to heaven to try to chase after God, hoping that we could bring him down here to live uh, with us, to help us live this way. We don't need to descend to the depths of his grave to raise him up, to be with us. No, Paul is saying he is near you. This new covenant uh, that Jesus brought, Jeremiah prophesied uh, that it would be written on your hearts. And Paul is affirming that. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's a powerful uh, truth. It's not something that uh, though we get the word of God and we need to read it, right? Um, It's not only uh, living here. We've talked about the Holy Spirit and uh, following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always with us. That's what we're getting at. Jesus is always near you. Jesus is always there. Um, we, they used to have to follow laws, and they, had to, uh, re- they re- required them to follow what priests said and what prophets said, and God wouldn't speak to uh, just any individual. He spoke through the priests and through the prophets, and now he's saying, uh, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm with you. Our God is uh, a living God uh, who's always near us, who's always speaking to us. Uh, and that, com- that um, his new covenant that he brings is always near us. It's in our hearts. It's on our mouth. The following verses, Paul tells the process for accepting Jesus as the Messiah using the, this expression Uh, that we just talked about, in your mouth and your heart. Verse 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. To confess Jesus is Lord is easy. Jesus is Lord. Oh, Jesus is Lord. But it means a lot. It means a person is acknowledging Jesus alone is to be worshipped and he is to be served. When we proclaim Jesus is Lord, it means he's Lord of our life. He's not just a great guy, an awesome God. Hey, Jesus, your Lord, right? When we confess that Jesus is Lord, it means, and we're going to serve you, we're going to worship you alone. To believe in your heart is to believe from the depths of your being that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death and hell. Those who believe such, we learned in the last chapter that uh, we share in his, de- in his conquering of death and hell. We will live eternally 
with Jesus in heaven. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there he, he goes back to, he's obviously it's an important part uh, that he wants to get across, that it's for everyone. Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. You have heard us quote uh, these verses. Missionary uh, Josh Bialik used it a few weeks ago. It's kind of a missions uh, focus of uh, the people won't hear about God unless someone goes and tells them and is sent, right? But Paul's original intent here is to explore why the Jews aren't believing in Jesus. And uh, he traces back to if they're not believing, why are they not believing? Well, it goes back to they can't know Jesus unless they've heard about Jesus. And he's using it to defend himself and the other apostles because they've done that. They've taught the Jews. Uh, they've taught all of the people of Israel. The word of God is, has gone out. This is, you know, 30 years or so after Jesus has died and rose again. Uh, they're going to other cities and towns and countries. They're spreading uh, the word. So those in Israel at that moment, they have no excuse. The good news has gone out to them. But, he continues, verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. The refusal of the Jews to accept Christ cannot be explained as a result of ignorance, nor can the failure of the Jews to accept Christ uh, be attributed to a lack of understanding. God opens the doors for all to receive him. And he still, to this day, continues to reach out uh, for the Jews, longing for them to receive Christ. He closes out chapter 10, by saying, Isaiah is very bold. And he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. 
I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. He's pointing uh, to the Gentiles and uh, those outside of the Jewish faith. Man, all of these are becoming Christians and they're following Jesus. Verse 21, but as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He still stretches out his hands to those Israelites. He still longs for them to accept Jesus. There's still uh, ministries going out to uh, them telling them about Jesus. It's a great mission field. Uh, they're trying to get Jews uh, to turn away from the old covenant and recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they still are. There's Jews coming to him this day. But the heart of, of these two chapters, I think as we close today, is this the truth that God is so near to us Sometimes we feel like uh, he's so far away. Uh, some of their, uh, probably some of their problems and troubles with it was uh, they relied on priests and they relied on prophets to, uh, you know, speak to the Lord for them. Uh, to hear for the, from the Lord, uh, they had to rely on those ways. And Jesus uh, is fulfilled all of that. And Jesus is now near to us. I love that verse and that truth today that God uh, is a living God and he's near us. He's uh, created us as vessels of mercy. We have uh, been stamped by God, right? Uh, created by him. Uh, he hasn't just uh, created us and set us on a shelf somewhere and moved on and never, uh, you know, to, to use us again or never to talk to us again. We are uh, his creation. He loves us so much and he's provided uh, this way that we can believe in Jesus and that we can turn uh, to him. He's so close to us and he's always speaking to us, giving us the Holy Spirit that you don't have to come to church to hear from God. You can hear from God on a live stream in your bedroom. Okay? Uh, when you're at work, the Holy Spirit can speak to you. The Holy Spirit is with you. That's the truth that's coming out uh, from these chapters in Romans. And, it, and it, I hope that it speaks to you and encourages you. I just want to close in prayer. And we'll end our live stream and we can uh, visit here, those of us in person. And um, So would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, God, I love you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this truth that, um, man, God, you are for all of us. And you've opened up the gospel to be available to everyone. God, that all of us struggle. All of us um, have sinned. God, but you've provided a way of righteousness to set us free from that, Lord. That all of us who call on the name of Jesus, uh, your word promises that we will be saved. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that. Lord, if there's someone that's never confessed you as their Lord, that they're watching today, oh, would you speak to them over this fee, over this video? Would you bless them? No matter when they watch it, you'll speak to them and you'll encourage their hearts and you'll fill them with your love and your freedom, God. 
Would you just help us to live each day uh, living for you, God, that we would share with others the hope that we have and the, the love that we have from you, the love that we have for you, the joy that you give us. God, would you bless us this day and just be with us throughout the rest of this week. God, that uh, you would help us as we go, that you would use us uh, to reach others. We just give ourselves to you, God. We want to be vessels of your mercy, God, and you would just use us to accomplish uh, your salvation plan for this town, for our coworkers, for our family, God. We just surrender our lives to you, God. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the uh, live stream, on the video. Have a blessed week, and we will see you Sunday.